You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So for the past couple months now, we have been on this journey called the Pathway Series. And today is our last day. Finally, we, are go- we have been going through our mission, our vision, our core values, and we have explored what our church is all about. And just before we dive into our last core value, I just want to recap some of, uh, some of the things that we have talked so far. We said that our church exists to know and enjoy God. That is our mission. And when we faithfully carry out this mission, we have this grand vision where we can rescue, reclaim, and revive a broken and lost world for the sake of God's kingdom. One person, one family, and one community at a a time. And we said that in order to accomplish this mission and reach this grand vision, there's certain core values that we need to hold on to as a church. And the first one is the Bible. We have to hold on to the truthfulness, the trustworthiness, and the authority of Scripture. And because the Scripture has authority, we need to treasure the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And we need to pray. We need to evangelize. We need to experience spirit-filled, gospel-driven worship. We said that we have to follow Christ. No matter what the cost is, with discipleship, we said that we need to love one another in community. And last week, we explored what biblical stewardship is all about. And finally today, our last core value is this. We value the building and supporting of healthy, gospel-centered family relationships. We value the building and supporting of healthy, gospel-centered family relationships. So this is probably the more of the sensitive topic, right? In our current, current day culture, talking about family, talking about marriage, it's a sensitive issue. No, the very definition of marriage is changing and is being challenged. We see in many dictionaries now, no longer is marriage defined as a union between a man and a woman, is defined as a legal union between two partners. No, many young men and women even question whether it's worth going through the process of marriage. Many young couples question whether it's worth having children. You know, we see the divorce rate spiking up. We see cohabitation increasing. We see the rate of marriage at its all-time lowest in the U.S. Not only that, there is constant tension between parents and children. We see that, uh, that parents are struggling to disciple and discipline their children, while children would rather listen to YouTube channels than parents. Now we see on the dinner table, no longer is the family talking, no longer are they discussing uh, about their day. Now they are all on their phones. They are disconnected while being present together. They are constantly checking virtual reality while neglecting the physical reality that's right in front of them. Now the bottom line is that there is a lot of brokenness in marriage, and in families in our, in our modern day. So is this how things are meant to be? As Christians, is this how we should view marriage and family? 
Should we just accept the fact that families are supposed to be broken, that marriages are supposed to be tough? No, should we just accept the fact that children are not going to change no matter what, and that parenting is a t- difficult task? No, the Ephesian church had the same issue because the city of Ephesus was dealing with some of these um, marital issues, these parenting issues, uh, confusion in gender roles and gender identity. And Paul, in today's passage, addresses this significant issue called family and marriage. And through this passage, we are going to see that the key to a healthy marriage family, uh, healthy marriage and family is Jesus. So the main idea of today's sermon is this. Jesus is the key to a healthy marriage and family. In today's passage, Paul reminds us that marriage and family is not a man-made idea. It's a divine idea. It's a sacred design that God came up with. In verse 31, he quotes from Genesis 2.24, which is kind of the foundational verse for the idea of marriage. No, before sin entered into the world, before there was any such thing called culture, God creates marriage. We see the very first establishment of marriage, the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. So one thing we have to understand is that God is the designer of marriage and family. When God created Adam and Eve in Genesis, they didn't accidentally fall in love with one another. They didn't accidentally have children. No, the Bible says that God custom-designed marriage and family for Adam and Eve. No, God created this family and, and marriage with a unique purpose and a unique plan. Now, every summer, our youth group, we create retreat shirts. And when I create that shirt, I can custom-design the shirt. I can say, have the shirt say whatever I want to say. Marriage is not like that. Mar- marriage is not a product that customers can custom design based on their tastes or based on their values. Because marriage is something that is sacred. It's something that is specifically designed by God for a specific purpose. God is the ultimate designer of marriage and family. There's a, there's a couple of things that we can notice in this original design of marriage and family. God designed family and marriage to be the fundamental building block of human society. Before God created a church, before God even called the people of Israel, even before God put people together or nations together, God created family and God created marriage. Family is not a byproduct of our society. It's not just an optional thing like most will say. It's actually essential And it is critical. Every one of us are actually a product of a marriage, a product of two beings, a man and a woman coming together. We are heavily influenced by family and marriage. Not only is God's design uh, of marriage and family the fundamental building block of human society, it is also a blessing. No, family is a blessing. Marriage is a blessing. You know, when I was in college, a lot of my friends say, oh, man, if you get married, your, your life is over. Right? That, that, they, if you get married, there's no more fun. No, now it's, you, know, you can't play. Uh, it's all about commitment, right? But the Bible tells us that marriage and family is a blessing. It's something good, surprisingly, right? <laughs> in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God says uh, he creates the universe in, in over six days, and he sees 
and he says that everything was good. He uses the word tov seven times to ensure us that his creation was not just good, it was perfect. But when you go to Genesis chapter 2, there's one thing that stands out, and God sees it and says, oh man, that ain't good. He sees Adam, the man, alone, and God says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. One thing you have to notice is Adam did not realize his personal loneliness. He didn't say to God, hey, God, I think I'm incomplete. I think I, I need something. No, Adam did, Adam, Adam did not realize that. It was God who saw Adam and said, man, that is not good. So what does God do? He, he put, puts Adam to sleep. And from Adam's rib cage, he picks out, he picks out a rib and he creates a suitable helper for Adam. The Bible says that God brought Eve to Adam and Adam just says, whoa, man. And that's how you get women. <laughs> oh, oh, man. So when I told that joke to our youth kids, they were like laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a joke. But, uh, but the idea here is that Eve was a blessing to Adam. The moment that Adam saw Eve, he was like, man, she is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. He was in love. And the same was true with Eve. Adam was a blessing to Eve. Not only that, we see that the very first commandment that is given to mankind is to be fruitful and multiply. In easier terms, God is saying have many babies. <laughs> a lot of babies is a sign of blessing. If you study the Old Testament, whenever God is blessing his people like Abraham, like the people who are oppressed in Egypt, we see their number increasing. Children are a blessing from God. They're a, a gift from God. That's how we, are, we become fruitful and multiply and extend our dominion and expand God's kingdom on this earth. Now, God designed marriage and family to be a blessing to us. Not only that, God designed marriage and family to reflect his glory. In verse 31, again, Paul quoting from Genesis 2.24, we see that it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So in this one simple sentence, we see a couple things about marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman. If you look in the Greek, if you look in the Hebrew, they are all singular. It's not between multiple people, a man and a woman. We also see that marriage is a lifetime commitment. The Bible says um, to hold fast to his wife. It's an idea of holding fast for a lifetime. It's a lifetime commitment. And lastly, we see that marriage is a one flesh union. Two people, completely different background, completely different gender, completely different mindset, coming together as one. You know, the very idea of one flesh, one flesh union is displayed in marriage. And why is this important? Because we serve a God who is three in one, we worship a God who is very unique. By nature, God is a relational God. Did you know that? That he does not exist by himself, but there's three parts to him. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equally divine, equally perfect, equally awesome. And yet they have distinct roles. And together they create the universe. Together they redeem God's people. Together they work together an incredible harmony, incredible intimacy, and an incredible love. Marriage is a reflection of God's relational character. There's no such thing on this earth where you see that union other than in marriage. 
marriage is custom designed by God. God is the designer of marriage. And marriage and family is meant to be a very beautiful thing. But we know what happens, right? Due to sin, relationships are broken. Now there's a lot of confusion between a man and a woman. No longer do they complete one another, but they compete with one another. The very next chapter after the fall of of mankind, we see brothers killing one another. No, we see sin distorts the relationships that exist in families and in marriage. But praise be to God because we see that Jesus restores what was broken due to sin. While sin distorts and destroys God's design for marriage and family, Jesus restores. So Jesus is the key to a healthy marriage and family because sin is the problem that causes all this distortion within the marriage and family. No, Ephesians 5 and 6 are really tough for us to understand. It's even tougher for unbelievers to understand. If you go to a non-believing friend and you say, uh, you know, I think uh, a wife should submit to their husband, they're going to say, you're crazy, right? You are crazy. We live in the 21st century. Gender equality, right? Uh, women, actually, they're more skilled. They make more money most of the times. They have better jobs. You know, the guys should help out, right? Uh, and when you talk about all these values that are stated in Ephesians 5 and 6, it makes no sense, really. No, it seems like it's very outdated. But it should make sense for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It is a weird thing for people outside of the church. Inside of the church, this should be a profound mystery that is displayed. It says in verse 32, Paul, after quoting from Genesis 2.24, he says, This mystery, which is marriage, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. No, for those who are single today, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I have nothing to take away from today's message. Uh, well, in the future, maybe I'll get married. In the future, I'll, I'll have kids, but not now, right? Not now. But you have to understand that uh, Paul is not just simply giving you giving premarital counseling here. He's not just giving you tips on how to raise a kid. He's actually displaying the gospel to us. Paul is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ that is displayed in this beautiful thing called marriage. So marriage is a projection of the gospel. Not only is it designed by God, it is a projection, a picture of the gospel, which means husbands and wives must understand their role and responsibilities in marriage in light of the gospel. In verse 22, we first see the role of the wife. It says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. So a couple things to notice here. Notice that Paul is not talking about men and women in general. He's talking about a husband and wife relationship. He's not saying all women should submit to all all men. He's not talking about whether or not we can have women presidents. He's not talking about things outside of the household. He's talking about matters inside of the household. He's saying that a wife should simply submit to the husband. Second thing we should notice is that the word submit is not a term to make women inferior. 
Because the same Greek word is used in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, where Christ willingly submits to the Father. And by submitting to the Father, he's able to accomplish the Father's will. While in that verse, it's not saying that Christ in any way is inferior to the Father. The Father and the Son are equal in value. They are equally God, yet Jesus willingly lays down his, his deity. He follows the pathway uh, uh, to all the way to the cross, and he accomplishes the Father's will. So the word submit is not a term where we are trying to demean women because it was used for our Savior. Third, we also should notice that husbands are men to lead the household. They are, they are the leaders of the household. No, some people say, well, Paul is just talking out of his culture, right? No, Paul is in a culture where uh, men are dominating. By the way, he himself is a male, so what he's saying is kind of outdated. Well, you have to look at two things. Number one, he's making his argument based on Genesis, which there was no culture. Number two, the marriage culture back in the day was not what Paul has been describing. There was brokenness in marriage. No one speaks highly of marriage than Paul. No, if we say that this idea of submitting, why submitting to the husband is not really a genuine idea, we're basically saying that the church does not need to submit to Christ. No, if the church needs to submit to Christ and acknowledge his leadership, then wives should acknowledge the leadership of their husbands and actively support them while they are leading the household. Okay, and now I can see that, you know, a lot of our ladies are kind of tense up, right? <laughs> At this point, okay, Pastor, what are, how, how are you going to kind of wrap this up? Well, um, if you look at the husbands, it's even worse, right? <laughs> In verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives. And if you just stop there, a lot of people will say, yeah, I can do that, right? I, I, I'm a lover, right? I can love women. I love women. But what it's, what it's saying is, husbands, love your wife as Christ Love the church and gave himself up for her. Paul's not talking about chocolates and, and, and uh, roses here. Paul is talking about a sacrificial love that requires one's life. Now, literally, you might have a chance to take a bullet for your wife. Uh, hopefully, you can do that at that time. Uh, but if not, <laughs> you have a chance every single day to die to yourself. And live a sacrificial life where you are not just looking for your own good, but you are living a life to glorify and, 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 and beautify and, and purify your wife. That is what Paul is talking about when he says, husbands, love your wife. Man, I think at this point, it's better to submit, right, than to give up one's life. No, this both to the husband and to the wife, God is giving a very difficult command. This means that Gentlemen, maybe you might have to sacrifice your time with your buddies. Maybe you can't go out all night. Maybe you have to sacrifice the time that you watch different sports. Um, I'm still working on that, right? Maybe, maybe you have to sacrifice some of your hobbies and spend time with your wife. No, you have to lay down what is precious to you in order to love your wife. Just like Christ gave himself up for the church, husbands must love their wives in a sacrificial way. But it doesn't end there. In verse 28, it says, just like Christ loved his own body, husbands should love the wife as their own body. Um, ladies, I don't know if you know this, but 
guys are very, have very high self-esteem. Now, we are very proud of ourselves. Now, in the morning, uh, if ladies, if you guys look into the mirror without any makeup, right, what, what would you say? It's like, oh, it's kind of, you know, uh, you know I've got to put on some makeup. I don't look too beautiful today. You know what guys think when they wake up and they look in the mirror? It's like, oh, man, you are good looking today, right? <laughs> My hair is messed up. How can you look so good when your hair is so messed up and you have, like, stuff, your drool marks on your face, right? You know, if I t- when I talk to singles, um, people who are trying to get married, uh, waiting for marriage, uh, normally girls think this way. They say, man, what is wrong with me? The, the more and more years pass by, they th- say, oh, what is wrong with me? You know what guys say? What is wrong with girls? Right? They don't, they don't recognize uh, the, the, what's in this package, right? They don't recognize who I am. Right? I am a man of God. Guys don't have issues with self-esteem. That's, you know, if you, that's why it's important to kind of uh, make sure you affirm and, and, and affirm and you know, acknowledge your husband if you're a wife. But guys don't have issues with self-esteem. We love our bodies, right? Um, we work out. Uh, I don't work out, but a lot of you guys work out. <laughs> guys, uh, guys uh, whether they gain weight, whether they have uh, big bellies, it doesn't matter. We feel good about our body, right? And what the Bible is saying is, men, you guys love your body. Well, Paul is saying, you guys should love your wife as much as you love your body. As much as you nourish and cherish your own body, so should you cherish and nourish and love your wife in a sacrificial way. Marriage is a projection of the gospel. Now, wives, you must willingly support and submit the headship of the husband. Husbands, you must sacrificially love your wife. You know, one, one of my seminary professors, he said this, uh, marriage is a slow, painful process of dying to oneself. It's not fun. It's a painful process where two, have to die, two people have to die to themselves. But when two people die, something beautiful comes out. The two finally can become one. When two people die, when one willingly submits and one sacrificially loves, there we have the picture of the gospel, the picture between Jesus and his bride, the church. Jesus is the key to a healthy marriage and family. God is the designer of marriage and family. Marriage is the projection of the gospel. And lastly, marriage and family relationships must be lived out with and by the gospel. Not only does the gospel clarify the different roles within marriage or within the household, it gives us a reason to obey these commands. A lot of times people don't mention the context of Ephesians 5. Starting from Ephesians 4, God says, uh, God says you should walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You know, for three chapters, up to three chapters, Paul has been talking about the wonders of the gospel, how beautiful the gospel is. And in the second part of the letter, Paul begins to talk about how this gospel can be applied. In verse 15 of chapter 5, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So there's a way to walk in a wise way. Paul says that there's a way not to waste your time in an evil world. And verse 17, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 17. It says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, 
for it is a debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Two very specific commands. Know the will of God and be filled with the Spirit. Paul mentions a couple things that go along with these two commandments. And at the very end, verse 21, it says, one of those ways that you can be filled with the Spirit and, and know the will of God, one of, those way, one of the ways that you can kind of practice this is in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in that context, Paul begins to talk about the different relationships within the household. He talks about the relationship between a wife and a husband. He talks about the relationship between a child and a parent. He talks about relationship between a servant and a master. And when we think about a servant and a master, we think that, oh, that's kind of um, out in, that's not really a household kind of relationship. Well, it was back in the day because in the household, there was a lot of household servants. So what Paul is saying is, if you understand the gospel and you are filled with the spirit, then you can embrace these different rules out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands in a willingly and, and, and in a willing uh, fashion because Christ, because you love Christ, because you have reverence for Christ. Not because your husband demands or de- deserves your respect, but because you love Christ. Husbands, love your wives even though you, some days that she might not look as lovely. Love your wives because you love Christ. Out of the filling of the Spirit and reverence of Christ, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. By the way, just because you're over 18 does not mean your, your, your um, responsibility as a child to honor your parents is gone. Right? The moment that that is gone is when you get married. You know, that, at that moment, when you get married, according to the Bible, you leave your father and mother, and that's when you, you form your own family. And even then, you continue to honor your parents. And children, obey your parents, not because they are perfect or because they deserve your respect, but because you fear and you have respect for Christ. Notice in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Even obeying your parents parents happens only in the Lord. And also says, fathers, don't discipline your children out of anger, but teach them, discipline them of the Lord. Even teaching, disciplining, parenting happens only when we are filled with the Spirit and when we have reverence for Christ. The marriage and family relationship must be lived out by the gospel. Marriage is an act of worship. It's not a way where you can just satisfy your sexual desires or your loneliness. It's an act of worship where you are projecting the picture of the gospel. Parenting is an act of worship, which you do out of reverence for Christ. No, when you faithfully parent your, uh, parent your child, you are, dis- you are discipling a child to become a disciple of Christ. So you are, in a sense, carrying out the great commandment within the household. When, when God says, obey your parents' children, obey your parents out of worship, out of reverence for Christ. We don't obey our parents because they are perfect. We obey our parents because we want to obey Christ. Jesus is the key to a healthy marriage and a healthy family. So what are some ways that we can apply this passage? I think you know, this passage is relevant to everyone, single, married, young, old, because it calls out for a change in perspective before a change in practice. You know, before you change your practice, you have to understand, you have to change your perspective of marriage. 
Now, are you aware that marriage is a God-made device that displays his glory? Are you aware that God created marriage out of his divine plan with his divine purpose? Are you aware that marriage is a, a projection of the gospel? Are you aware that families and marriages exist so that people, non-believers, or even believers can visibly see the relationship, the beautiful relationship between Christ and the church? Is that your understanding of marriage? Or are you looking for something else in marriage? No, before we change our practice, we need to change our perspective and view. We need to have a high view of marriage and family. This is why Christians are so vocal, by the way, about issues like same-sex marriage or other issues. Not because those things um, hinder us personally, but when anything can be a marriage, that means the real marriage doesn't really become a marriage, right? A diamond why is it so precious? Because it's rare. A diamond is unique in its kind. If I can pick up a stone outside and say, this is a diamond, and I give that to my wife, right? I brought you a diamond today. <laughs> no longer would a diamond be a diamond, right? The reason why we are talking about marriage and family is because it's something sacred, something valuable, something that we need to protect because it is customly designed by God. And I'm not saying that this is always the reason for you guys, but uh, God has a plan. You know, what I'm trying to say is God is the one who brought Eve to Adam. Yes, it is true, people like Paul, that there's for a season, for maybe for some of you, for a lifetime, you are called to singleness. And praise the Lord for that. You know, you, that's a spiritual gift, by the way. That is not the norm. And if you are called to singleness, you are called to singleness for a very important reason. You are single so that you can carry out the work of the gospel. No, that is what Paul says in his letter to the church of Corinthian. You are single so that you can carry out the work of the gospel. And if you're married, you are married so that you can carry out the work of the gospel. Singleness is not a time where you are lacking in something. Singleness is not a time where you are just waiting. God is not just holding back something really good for you. But it's a time where you can embrace that time. You can deepen in your understanding of the gospel so that later on, if you do get married, that you can practice some of these things in your marriage and, and so that you can pursue um, a godly marriage uh, later on. Singleness is not downtime. So I want to encourage uh, some of our singles to, to take this time seriously. And not only that, when you look for a partner, this should change the way that you view people. You know, you can't just look for people who are good-looking or, or well-established, have a lot of money. Um, girls, you have to look for a, a guy who has leadership. You know, if a person, if a man is not displaying leadership within the church, if they are not leading other people in Christ, how do you, how do you expect him to lead a household, right? And if you see, uh, guys, if you see a girl who has a terrible relationship with their father, she has no respect for their parents. That should be a red flag right there. Because if, uh, if, um, if a daughter cannot respect the authority of, and, and the, the authority of a, a parent, of a father, how do you expect the daughter, the, the wife, to respect the authority of the husband? It doesn't make sense, right? So there's certain things that you should look for now that you have an understanding of a biblical, gospel-centered marriage. And family. Pleasure is not the ultimate goal of marriage. Success and stability is not the ultimate goal of family. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate goal of marriage and family. And before my wife and I, I got married, um, this was um, about a year and a half ago, uh, and we had marriage counseling with one of my professors, and it was really good. I think it saved my marriage. And one question that stood out to me, uh, some of you know this story, but the professor asked me this question, what do you fear most now that you're going to get married? What do you fear most in your marriage? And we wrote our answer. I said, I fear you know, failing as a husband. You know, I knew I was going to be in ministry, so I was kind of afraid that I wouldn't be able to provide financially, maybe some, or do things that normal people do, like normal families do. Right? I was kind of scared of that for some reason. And my wife wrote, I'm afraid that my husband will die one day. Oh, and, and, and it's so sweet, right? I, 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 but the professor said, both of you are wrong. Both of you are selfish and sinful. Why? James, are you the one who provides for your family? No. God. God provides for the family, not you. You're just an instrument. Hain, that's my wife's name, is, are you the one? Who, are, is James the one who provides for the family? Absolutely not. God can provide. You know, that changed my perspective on marriage completely. No, I thought marriage was between two people. It's actually not. It's between three people. When you make a covenant, not between just two people, but in front of God, God is the one who carries out the plan of marriage, and he refines you, he sanctifies you. You know, there are struggles along the way, but in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of those clashes, you learn how to die to yourself in order to embrace the life of Christ in marriage. So, brothers and sisters, today, I want you to remember that Jesus is the key to a healthy marriage and family. God is the designer. Marriage is a projection of the gospel. And every relationship within the household needs to be defined, understood, and be driven out of the gospel. And this can only be done when you are filled with the Spirit. So pray. Let's pray together. Marriage is not something that completes us, but it is something that completes the picture of the gospel. No, I think we can pray over this topic in various ways. If you are married, maybe you are struggling in your marriage, or maybe you're struggling in your parenting. Uh, maybe you have personal issues with your father or mother, and you have, it's hard for you to honor them. Now, I want to challenge you today. Walk in obedience, not because the other person deserves it, but because you love Christ, because you fear Christ, because you are filled with the Spirit. And if you are still waiting uh, for, for that significant other where you are just awaiting um, for your marriage, I challenge you, take this time, not as downtime, but as a time where you can do the specific work of the gospel. See how you can practice it and the gospel in your life. See how can, you can lead others within the church. See how can, you can love others within the church. And you, if you practice that right now, it's going to be so much easier when you get married to someone. 
If you have a firm understanding of the gospel, your marriage, although it might be difficult, it will never fail. Continue to pray for someone um, that, that God will bring you someone that not just is good in a worldly standard, but someone who knows the gospel. Because if you meet someone who's not willing to lay down their life in front of the cross, that person will never lay down their life for you. And your marriage will always have trouble. Ephesians 5 and 6 is such a promising message that it is possible to go back to God's original design of marriage and family. And that only happens when we are filled with the Spirit and when we understand the gospel. So let's pray and respond to the message together. Let's pray.